the incomparable podcast number 80 february 2012 when we last left you we were drafting movies and now we're going to continue that with my guests glenn fleischman scott mcnulty to be continued steve lutz i hope i can remember what we picked last week john syracusa i remain here dan moran Turns out I can make it after all. And Serenity Caldwell. Hello. Let's get back to it. Um, Glenn, you're up. Uh, all right. I'm let's, gonna, speed, uh, let's keep speeding it up, folks. We going, let's yeah. go to lightning round. <laughs> nice and fast. Three lightning rounds. Brother from another planet. Brother from Which, another planet. Wow. Have anyone wow. seen this movie? Has anyone seen this no. movie? No. No idea what that is. Have the filmmakers seen this? I'm shocked, Glenn, that you would pick something obscure. <laughs> I don't think it's that obscure. I actually thought it was. Um, it's a it's a sci fi movie about an alien who lands on our planet, fish out of water, and is being pursued. So you know, kind of a normal plot. But he's a black guy. He's Joe Morton, who I adore. I got to see Joe Morton live once. Terrific performer live. And the only reason I watched Eureka was because Joe Morton was in it. And uh, he was also Joe Morton also played the scientist who does the wrong thing and invents Skynet in, in Terminator Two. Terminator yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's Joe Morton. Uh, so the, one of the, the twists in Brother from Another Planet is he's mute, and uh, <clears throat> he's being pursued by some kind of aliens, and there's a great scene at the end where he's sort of taken in by an African-American family, and they're at some history exhibit. He takes the kids there, and they sort of accept him that he's a mute, and he seems to have some interesting abilities, and... Um, you know he can't. He's, he points to this picture of dogs chasing a slave in this exhibit to the kids, and the kids are like, "Oh, you're the dog, right?" And it's like, "Yep." It's a it's a fascinating film. John Sayles, uh, great movie, great movie. There, quick, see, done. All right, All right. it's like the anti powder. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. wow! You can pick mm-hmm. that one if you want, Scott. Uh, you are next. You've got Star Trek Two and the Hudsucker Proxy. What's next? Well, I, I am a fan of absurd, silly things, and so I will pick Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Damn you! It's my third pick, because it is the funniest movie, despite what some people may say, it is the funniest movie ever made, and uh, I have seen it so many times, I laugh every time I watch it. Uh, it speaking of quotable movies, uh, you, you can't, there are people who can quote the whole thing, I am not one of those people, because I, I am, memory. in fact, one of those people. Well, there you go, and ha! Eat it. I was waiting uh, for that. I was waiting for that. I am, I am currently eating it, just so you know. Uh, so Monty Python. I, 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 what more is there to say about Monty Python and the Holy Grail? You know, I've never actually met a person who told me that they did not think the Holy Grail was funny. That's the only film I can say that of. It's a, it's a good way to see if someone it is has a, a robot. It, it's another one of those ones that has something for everybody, because I remember watching it as a kid, and when I was a kid, the Black Knight scene is like the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> Uh, but it yes. takes, but it takes time. And like some of the other stuff went like over my head, obviously, as like a ten year old or whatever. When I watch that, um, and some of it becomes much funnier later. I also think it's one of those movies that is very funny to watch, but in some ways is even funnier to remember. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't know true. why that is, but it's a weird sort of thing. Like thinking about it, I find it funny, and then sometimes I'll watch it and go, "Oh yeah, this is really funny," but it doesn't make me laugh out loud as much as just thinking about it does. <laughs> All right. Great pick, and you made you made Steve eat it. So yes. even greater. Um, um, Steve, um, Alien um, and um. Caddyshack are on your list. What is uh, next? 
Hang on, I'm still you know eating what it. Isn't next nom, Monty nom, Python nom. and the Holy Grail? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Monty Python and the Holy Grail was on my list, but kind of off in the corner because when I mm. initially put it on my list, I, I realized I, I almost couldn't think of anything to say about it because I've seen it so many times. I, it was the first film I committed stop, to memory. Didn't stop uh, Scott from. Picking and saying, if, what if, can you say? And, and not saying yeah, anything well, about yeah. it, really. And if That's I had right. known I had that avenue open to me, I almost certainly would have picked it in the first round. And then the eating would be in a different mouth, wouldn't it? Oh, I guess. If I let not having something to say stop me from uh, joining this podcast, I'd never be on. <laughs> right. So um, instead, for my third pick, I'm going to go with something that was actually mentioned in passing in another episode a few weeks ago. Um, but I feel it, it wasn't really given its due. Um, it is, in fact, a kid's movie about a talking pig. Talking about 1995's Babe. Um, which, yes, it's about a talking pig. It's a kid's movie, but it is also quite simply the, the most heartfelt film, children's or otherwise, that I have ever seen. Um, I first saw it at the theaters, fresh out of college, pretty much at the zenith of my bitter, youthful cynicism. And uh, and over the course of that 90 minutes, Babe reduced me to a grinning, tear-stained, uh, up-with-people type. Yeah. Didn't take, obviously, but it was a nice 90 minutes. <laughs> it's, it's, I've seen it uh, a good dozen times, and, and there are still uh, or at least five scenes that make me weep openly on oh, yeah. every single viewing. See, I mentioned that on the Kids Movie Podcast, and John and, and Lex sort of didn't react, and I thought, oh, geez, is this a movie that everybody hates and I don't know? Because I, I love it... Um, unreservedly yeah i was shocked looking up information um that it only had like a 7.1 on imdb which you know it's not exactly the the best measure but um it, it surprised me a little bit that it was that low because to me it's maybe it's just the fact that it's it's viewed as kind of treacly and and you know, but it's it funny i mean animals. it's not just oh it's hilarious it's not, it's not really sappy it's 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 really funny well you know it does have its sappy moments but yeah. they're not they're certainly not to the fore and it's another one of those where you've got, you know, something that can be enjoyed on multiple levels by people of different ages. Like got a the, wacky you know, talking animals, the wacky duck, the singing mice, <laughs> you know, the young kids love that. Uh-huh. And then, you know, when you you got kids that are a little older, they'll pick up on the, the just the lovely message, which is basically just about prejudice and how it, you know, it can be, um, you know, just basic decency can defeat it largely. And uh, and the adults will get even more out of that because, you know, you've, <clears throat> you've got great bits like... Uh, the narrator talking about uh, the scene, I guess, where uh, I think it's Fly, the sheep dog, is trying to get the secret password from the sheep. And, of course, they're natural enemies. And uh, I think the narrator announces that, uh, that the dog decides to talk extremely slowly because it's very well known that sheep are stupid. And then, and then when the sheep respond, he says uh, the sheep choose to talk extremely slowly because it's very well known that dogs are ignorant brutes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, you know. yeah. Babe's Babe becomes the sheep pig uh, because Babe actually cares to talk to the sheep instead of just yelling at them and and right. and bossing them around. And that's that's how babe he, he doesn't runs. know any better than to to just break stereotypes. All right. So Babe, great movie, love it from the uh, director and writer of Mad Max, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a strange movie because almost everybody in it is Australian, and yet they've made it sort of American, and the accents are weird, and the setting is strange and it's a weird it is it, it almost has that fairy tale quality because it is so imprecise on where and right. when it is it's a very strange, well yeah and it's it's show. i love the direction too because everything kind of is is just a little bit off kilter yeah. you know yeah. i mean it's it starts with of course the farm that's basically from you know a century ago 
but it's in modern times because the kids come at Christmas and bring a fax machine. Yeah, it's very strange. Modern-ish yeah. times. Yeah, fax, yes, fax yes. times. And James Cromwell's amazing. Yep. So that's it. All right. John. Some, somebody want to say uh, say that'll do, Pig? Good pick. That'll, that'll do, <laughs> That'll Steve. do, Steve. That'll do, Thank Pig. You. Thank you. I have closure. All right. John. I like bacon. Oh, it did not turn me off of my, bacon. My wife stopped eating pork after seeing Babe, and has For not five minutes. and and has not never had has never had pork since. Oh, then I can't watch this film. Yeah, yeah. If you like seriously, it, seriously yeah. If you like bacon, don't watch Big. Uh, I think of it kind of as Highlander. If I eat more bacon, <laughs> I will become more like Babe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, go ahead for my third pick. I debated moving this, but I feel like it has to be in this position. I'm going to select The Godfather Part 2 as one of the very wow. rare sequels that can be argued is equal to or better than the original. Empire Strikes Back, of course, being the other one, and very few other ones come to mind. Star Trek 2. Uh, Star Trek 2, yes. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good example, too. Uh, but only because the first movie was yeah, so terrible. Awful. Yeah. <laughs> so this is better than what was widely recognized to be a great movie. Uh, and and it's strange because The Godfather, like I said, is is such a beautiful self-contained movie. You're like, all right, well, so that was the story, right? You know, it's not it doesn't end on a cliffhanger, really. Uh, and it, it, this was before the age of of sequels to everything. It's like The Godfather Two. Oh man, they're going to ruin it. It's, you know, they had this great movie. The Godfather had all those great actors in it. It was just just boy, what a great movie. And they're going to make a sequel. It's going to be awful. And what do you do? Like by the end of The Godfather, Michael Corleone is the Godfather. He's gone from being nobody to, you know, uh, ascending to the throne. And that's the end of the movie. It's like, well, then it's it's kind of like, what would you do after the end of Return of the Jedi? It's like, everything's okay now, right? Like, do you have to manufacture some new conflict or something? Uh, and the, the brilliant thing The Godfather 2 does More is, dance numbers is what you yeah. do after Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Is that they recognized that at the end of Godfather 1, you sort of had uh, Michael closing the door on his new bride. Uh, and that's how the Hollywood movies end. You know, it's kind of like, all right, and then there we get lights go on and we get all and leave. But Godfather 2 says, no, actually, we're going to keep the camera rolling and say, all right, so what is that like? What What is it like when you've, you've uh, gotten this wife under these pretenses and are shutting her out? How do you live the rest of your life? Like, normally the movies end after the exciting part is over. The Godfather 2 keeps rolling and says... Here is Michael trying to be trying to fill the shoes of his father, but kind of in a, in a new age uh, that isn't the same age that his father grew up in, and that's highlighted by a parallel flashback story showing his father's rise to become the original Godfather. And the two, it's it's basically like two great movies yeah. combined with, into with one. With Robert De Niro as the, as as uh, Vito yeah. Corleone coming up in the in the. If you want to have people century. play you, you can say, "I would like De Niro to play me when I'm young, and then Marlon Brando yeah. to play yeah. me before he's really fat uh, as the older one, yeah. and then I die." So a uh, pretty good. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, the, the, so my question for you, John: The first time I saw The Godfather, and I know this is sacrilegious, and I've seen it since several times as the original movies, but the first time I saw it was actually the complete epic, which is where they actually take the De Niro portion of Godfather Part Two and run it first. And then they run the who would, who would who would do that? Francis Ford Coppola. That's not right. But he should go back to his, go back it, to his vineyards. But it, it, it's interesting to view it that way. But it's it's the wrong way to do it because <laughs> that you, is the wrong way. Because the juxtaposition storyline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole second movie. Uh, and so, and the second movie is one another rarity in the the uh, the current age of movies is that it's it's basically a tragedy. How often do you see a sort of big budget lots of stars very long epic tragedy very rare unless it's like some you know uh historical drama where you know it's got to end with something bad happening or something star trek 2 
past. <laughs> yes. There are many things in that movie that were tragic, but I don't know if you would call the ending one. Uh, <gasps> Spock is dead. <laughs> yeah. Also, you know, uh, Han's frozen in carbonite, but uh, yeah. but Star Trek Empire Three is really... the real tragedy at the end of Star Trek Two. <laughs> <laughs> so. That is true. Yeah. All right. So you're gonna have a little Godfather uh, film festival here, and your- yeah. And the, the only other thing I'd add is that the Godfather Two, being this strange thing where it's a sequel that 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 stands up to its great predecessor, mm-hmm. the gravity of Godfather Two sort of sucks in Godfather One, and that's why I think these two movies start to become start to like orbit each other like binary stars and i have a very difficult time on any given day saying which one of the two i think is better yeah. hmm. i agree they're both great they both win best picture oscar i know they're oh, both nominated know. for best picture i mean that, that I, I wasn't born yet i think yeah. <laughs> there's no way to look up information about no. the past i know yeah that's not I, how i need no, some sort of that's that stuff seeing off, uh, seeing eyeball right. crystal thing all right godfather and godfather part two now on john's board uh Dan Morin, you're next. Uh, I'm going to pick what's actually my second favorite movie um, after Empire, which was so cruelly snatched from my from my clutches. And that is David Lean's 1962 epic, Lawrence of Arabia, uh, which is a historical film, um, but in many ways not so historical since the the factualness of it is is loudly and largely disputed however uh that aside it still makes a fantastic film um and i believe it is uh, on record as the longest film ever nominated and or at least never won for best picture somebody made reference earlier to a movie so long you felt that you needed an intermission lawrence of arabia this has an intermission intermission. indeed and uh it's it's a it's a Epic film on every scale, and not just the story, but, you know, I remember my parents taking me to see it for the first time uh, in the Brattle Theater here in in, in Cambridge. Uh, and it's it's something that really, you know, it's a little easier now that people have giant TVs in their home, but it's something that deserves to be seen on a giant screen. Because if nothing yes, else, yes. some some of the scenes are almost just impossible to uh, you know comprehend on a small screen. I saw I saw a seventy millimeter restoration of this when it first came out when I was in college. Yeah, and, and if and if you can, that is the way to see it because there are scenes I think particularly of the introduction of Omar Sharif's character, oh, yeah. uh, Sharif Ali, who. There's this scene where he's, you know, in the desert. It's a little dot. And you see, it's a little dot. It starts as a little dot, and they just let it ride out. It's slow. It's deliberate. Um, it's just perfectly uh, paced and time for everything. And as, uh, as you know, speaking of Omar Sharif, who, who gives a gives a awesome performance here, um, the entire cast, you know, despite the fact that they had to largely turn, to, they or they ended up largely turning to non Middle Eastern actors to portray a lot of these characters, such as Alec Guinness and uh, Anthony Quinn. Um, there's a fantastic cast here with the, all th- all three of those guys, plus obviously Peter O'Toole in the lead role um, in, as a very complicated hero. Um, mm-hmm. And there's having seen having seen Star Wars before I saw this, I, I found it funny to see Alec Guinness out in the desert. Yes, yes, dressed up. Well, yeah, that's where he does. Yeah. That's how he lives there in the desert. He, does. he hangs out there in robes. Um, in particular, one scene that I that that always jumps to mind is the. Uh, um, to to sort of launch a surprise attack on a city that is otherwise well defended, uh, Lawrence insists they cross this really Im- almost uncrossable desert at and at night, which is the only time they can do it. Um, and uh, someone gets lost along the way, and he actually rides back to get them before the sun comes up. 
and then later on in the movie um it is he is yeah you know, he uh, in order to keep peace lawrence volunteers to kill someone who has murdered uh another member of another tribe for part of a blood feud and it turns out to be the guy that he saved yeah. <laughs> um which is just a incredibly you know devastating moment and really does a lot to shape this character and so it's it's a fascinating portrait of a you know whether you like him or not um what do you, whatever you think of him a great man in the typically in the great man theory of things and it's just it's it is well worth watching the the first half of it the pre-intermission half uh, it would be in my top three movies of all time. The second half is, I feel like, more problematic because that's sort of the downward spiral of Lawrence, and it's yeah, it's it's more difficult, and it, and it uh, I don't like it as much. But well, it's, it's not as it's but, not as uplifting, yeah. but it's it's yeah, it is. I think that's to me that's what makes it such a great yeah. movie is that it is not just about oh this guy's awesome and he's a hero yeah. and everything, but like wow that comes with some really serious baggage. And he gets to, to Cairo and it's not so also good. A, yeah a great score by uh, Maurice Jarre um, and yeah all over and fantastic shoot. Audience, audience, great movie. <laughs> uh, Ren, you're up. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go veer over to the comedy screwball side of things, uh, which with my number three favorite movie of all time, which is Howard Hanks's Bringing Up Baby, uh, which is Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant uh, playing off each other in this a very ridiculous story, uh, as as most screwballs are, about basically a woman who mistakes an archaeologist for a zoologist and says, oh, my brother has invited me to, uh, or my brother has sent me a tame leopard. Please help me take care of him. And, uh, of course, the leopard disappears, and then a untamed leopard gets out of the zoo, and there's a point where Catherine Hepburn is locked up in a jail uh, claiming to be part of a rough-and-tumble gang in, uh, in accents that, according to Cary Grant, she has only learned from watching these kinds of films. Uh, and it's just... <sighs> I love Katherine Hepburn. She may be my all-time favorite uh, actress on of the screen, and this is one of her best performances. She and Cary Grant have scintillating uh, screen chemistry, and she just she just gets these great lines. There's there's one point where, when the leopard has basically left uh, left her room uh, and climbed up onto the roof, she's standing in the garden uh, singing to it, and uh, Cary Grant com- character he comes out and he's he's like what what are you doing? And she's like, well, there's a leopard. Or he's like, what, why, why are you singing to my roof? And she's like, well, there is a leopard on your roof and it's my leopard and I have to get it. And to get it, I have to sing. And it's, 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 it's just, no, that's a, that's a classic. It's wacky. Yeah, it, it's, I, I cannot stop laughing when I watch this movie. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Howard Hawks so. bringing up baby. Good one. Yeah. Screwy screwball wacky. I am going to save John the indignity of picking yet another gangster movie by picking Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas here. Um, when I saw it, it was a revelation. It's one of my favorite movies. I would argue that it's better than the Godfather only because I feel as great as the Godfather movies are. Um, well, better. I, I, what I like about Goodfellas is it's, it's a reaction in some ways to the Godfather. And I'm not going to do three hours about Goodfellas because somebody else could do that. But um, it's a great, uh, reaction to the godfather in that it is messy and it's the kind of horrifying aspect of the mob these are kind of low-level mob guys and there's kind of horrific violence there's also this incredible style in the film um the music is great the acting is great great performances robert de niro uh ray Liotta, 
uh, Joe Pesci, Lorraine Bracco, uh, just some great performances. Um, like I said, funny. It's like a, it's it, it, Martin Scorsese in this movie. I mean, he is a, a master director at the peak of his power, surrounded by cinematographers and and film editors and actors who are all at their peaks. And and you get this movie that is very modern. As, whereas the godfather is very classically put together and and the, the even the violence in the godfather is a gentler sort of violence and the violence in goodfellas is brutal and i love that as a reaction to kind of the the uh, almost mythical violence of and tale of the godfather that you get the flip side here and so i really i say it's better but what really what i do is i appreciate how different it was from the godfather and and we went a long time without having any mob movies that were really of that standard and and goodfellas is of that standard and i have to admit the violence is kind of hard to take and what i appreciated about it when i was 20 years old it's actually harder for me to watch it now at at 40 but um still what a just a what a masterpiece a fantastic movie one of my favorite movies i have i have the poster hanging my my wife made me put it in the garage but it's still hanging so uh <laughs> goodfellas uh i love it and now john doesn't have to pick it you're welcome he's just breathing a sigh you're welcome you didn't take godfather part three <laughs> you're welcome john <laughs> i was thinking of shifting it off the end anyway because i do have more picks yeah and i i, I and it wasn't exactly uh next on my list but i i want to balance this out so it isn't all just uh hey nerds from the 80s there are movies for you on jason's day i'm trying to spread it out a little bit so i'm going to toss goodfellas in there great great movie and it, it uh, also i'm trying to be balanced a little bit um by having some great drama on there so i don't look at my list later and go i picked what so goodfellas classic i refer the rest of it to john syracuse's three hours on another podcast about this movie but it is I, I could probably go on for maybe not three hours, but a long time about how great this film is in so many different ways. So there, Goodfellas, that's my pick. Now we will move on to the even more dramatically fast lightning round of the fourth round and the fifth round. Can it round. get faster? It can. And it's not going to cause you some just sort say of rip the name in the time of the space movie. continuum? Say the name it's of the gonna. movie and then a brief and description of why, and then we will we will applaud. Glenn, two or, or in the case of Glenn, we might boo. Glenn, go ahead. Funny Bones. <laughs> What? Jerry Lewis. Who doesn't love Jerry Ooh. Lewis? Funny Bones. Great Jesus movie. Lady. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, great movie. It's got Oliver Platt. It has uh, Lee Evans, a crazy, funny British comedian in one of his best roles. It is Jerry Lewis in a terrific part. It's terrible jokes, but it's a, it's a beautiful, strange, lovely, frightening, humorous, crazy movie. Love it. Great film. Saw it in the film festival when it first opened. Seen it many times since. Highly recommended. Wow. wow that, that was no nonsense. I've never even yep. heard of that movie. <laughs> what? Oh. No. Oh, what? Okay. okay, well, that needs it's to... Vaguely, you come... neither have I. What? I, this is crazy. It's not sure that it's I have either. kind of like Cinderfella. This is... Cr- no, <laughs> it is not. It's crazy. Everyone on this podcast... Oh, you are so uh, dead. Everyone on this podcast <laughs> needs to go see Funny Bones. It is a very funny... I know. We'll, we'll all people... go to your day of the festival oh, and geez. learn a little and love a little. We're going to sit in the back row and, and we may have some wine, but we will. I'm done. Next, Scott. <laughs> Uh, I was going to pick Funny Bone, but <laughs> <laughs> painfully, since it's been taken, I'm going to pick the movie that I saw when I was a little kid, and it really turned me on to science fiction, The Forbidden Planet, starring Leslie Nielsen in a dramatic role, bef- you know, before he was uh, uh, a comedy guy, he was a dramatic actor, and also uh, 
Robbie the robot. Yes. And Anne Francis. Yeah. That that's a very in- I I watched that recently and I really didn't like it but it it's <gasps> it's so influential. I mean you can see well first off the original Star Trek series is just a totally a knockoff of Forbidden Planet. Yeah. I mean the uh, art direction the the, is oh, uh, yeah. The, is basically identical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Forbidden Planet. You know, Star Wars is still out there. Greg Noss. <laughs> um, Steve, Steve, Steve Lutz, go ahead. Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to pick not Star Wars. Um, what I am, in fact, going to pick is uh, unlikely to be on anybody else's list, but uh, it, it is the great John Hughes film, The Breakfast Club. Oh, mm. great. Uh, okay. It's a film that I like somewhat for its anthropological interest because it is a great snapshot of, of teen life in the 80s. Uh, although I think much of it still applies. I think the the character archetypes haven't really changed all that much. So you probably won't find too many schools anymore without um, fences and metal detectors. But uh, mainly I think it's great because it's it's the singular spot-on examination of the of the horrors of being a high schooler and and probably the most accurate and sympathetic depiction of teenagers uh, in film. Uh, you know, these aren't reprobates or precocious wise-asses. They're just generally good kids who are... Uh, victims of their parents or their coaches or their own personal circumstances. Um, you know, and it's, it's very funny, but it's, it's also frequently painful. And, um, uh, as a teenager, I found it enormously, enormously moving still do today. Uh, I, I am man enough to admit that the story of Larry Lester's buns, uh, make me tear up being taped together. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I love that we, the audience start off just like the kids, Know, and, and we we view them as their stereotype, and then our eyes are opened along with the characters. Oh, it's just reassuring either. as a youth to know that no matter how angsty and misunderstood I was as a geek, the the jock and the popular chick were probably just as miserable. Only more popular. Mm. That's not true. That was not true, actually. I'm sorry to say, not true at all. Nope. No, yeah. I don't not true think at all. So. They were miserable in a different <laughs> way. Was, yeah. No. no, never no they, they were. They no, were miserable in a positive. They were miserable. Steve, they're miserable way. now. Yeah. It they all comes miserable. back around. All right, John. All right, so I'm on number four, right? Yep. My fourth pick, I'm going to pick Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2 as a unit. Yes, which I will allow. Yes, that's what I was getting at with some misdirection, although one of the other people on Twitter Figured sort of gave it, out, it away yeah. with this tweet. Uh, now, I don't not think this would come up in a lot of people's top lists because they think, oh, it's like a schlocky homage to the kind of movies that Quentin Tarantino likes, which really is all of Quentin Tarantino's movies. But damn, he's just so good at it. His homages are better than the things that they're honoring almost all the time, and especially in this case. So you've got part one, which is this, you know, dramatic action movie with all these fight scenes and everything that hooks you from scene one with that uh, that sort of grainy black and white shot of the bloody Uma Thurman face that ends on It's Your Baby with the bang of the gun. Great top caliber stuff there. But just the movie by number part one by itself, I wouldn't have put on my list. Part two is sort of the heart of this movie. I don't know what you would call part one, some other part of the anatomy. Uh, and it surprisingly in, in part two, like it, the dramatic scene at the end has a long commentary on the nature of Superman that is not played for laughs. And if you watch a Quentin Tarantino, you're like, this is the Royale with cheese scene. Isn't this funny? No. See, like he, he plays this stuff seriously. The characters are serious. And by that point, you're serious. You're like, oh, my God, I'm taking I'm taking this all seriously. And I'm caught up in this moment. That's ridiculous. Uh, and I, I really love that there's that. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, I liked part one, but I didn't like part two. If you only like part one because you like seeing people beat each other up with cartoon violence, that's not what I come to these movies for. I just think 
they're as as a unit these two parts connect together into a beautiful yin yang uh, and i also think both these movies have the best use of music in uh, in movies uh with the possible exception of goodfellas uh which is an amazing feat for what's supposed to just be a you know a throwback kind of movie that's supposed to be fun i think there's so much more depth in this movie uh than would appear from if you looked at the the uh dvd cover or read some reviews all right kill bill i i had uh I had Reservoir Dogs on my list, down a little bit, but I did have that. That's my favorite Tarantino. But I'm not surprised to see Quentin Tarantino get brought up here. Dan, what about you? Uh, I'm going to pick my favorite film by my favorite director, and that's Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, mm. um, which is an excellent... Uh, I, you know, Hitchcock is is my favorite director because he is a master of what he does, um, and that is... You cannot. It's hard to watch many of his movies without literally sitting on the edge of your seat. And Rear Window for me is is my favorite in that regard because we're put in. Um, we as audiences are always captive uh, in you know watching the movies. We can't interact with the people on the screen. You know we we like to yell at them and tell them not to go in the basement and investigate that noise because it's the dude with the chainsaw. Um, but in this movie, our protagonist Jimmy Stewart. Um, is stuck in the exact same position. He's broken his leg and he's watching, he's reduced to sort of voyeuristically watching his neighbors through his back window until he becomes seized with this idea that this one guy has murdered his wife. Um, and I love that in like about half the movie, you think maybe he's just bored and really, you know, paranoid about this and he just needs some, you know, because he's been shut in and he's convalescing. He, uh, he's just making stuff up. And then you start to realize, wow, there's something sinister going in here. Um, and so the whole, uh, cinematogra- cinematographically, the whole shooting of the backyard area through the rear window, which sort of reflects the, you know, the movie screen itself is this fascinating melange of all these different characters that he's keeping eyes on. And it's just, there are scenes, there's, you know, in particular a scene later on where he sends his girlfriend sort of, um, to investigate and she sneaks into the murderer's apartment oh. and he realizes he can see the the murderer coming back but he can't warn her because he's stuck and there's no way to tell her i mean this is a movie that would be ruined by cell phones right but you know you you see the way that jimmy stewart reacts and he just looks so terrified and you you start your heart starts pounding is he going to come back and find her and i it's just it is it is the tip top of, yeah. of hitchcock's suspense yeah great one great one ren you're up Oh, goody. Okay. Uh, so my fourth one uh, covers my deep love of con movies, uh, and that is Ryan Johnson's The Brothers Bloom. Uh, that's actually a fairly recent movie. It only came out a couple years ago, and I've got to give a hat tip to Paper Moon here. Uh, not exactly nominating two movies here, but just Paper Moon is a great movie, and it's very clearly influenced in Brothers Bloom. And Brothers Bloom is maybe not a perfect film, but there are parts of it that are just so fantastic and represent everything I love about the craft of storytelling and just movies in general. It's a very exquisitely done film. It's uh, it's shot much in the way that like Big Fish and the other like pseudo fairy tale stories are, where you're never quite sure what exactly what's real and what's not. And that's the whole theme of the film is it's all playing on what's a con, what's not, what's fake, what's real. And there are plenty of great quotes from there. It's like the trick to not feeling cheated is to learn how to cheat or the perfect con is one where everyone involves get just what they wanted. It's, it's a masterful, masterful play on storytelling and on, and wordplay. And it doesn't hurt that, um, you have Mark Ruffalo, Adrian Brody and, um, 
Uh, why am I forgetting the lead actress's name? I'm a horrible person. Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss uh, playing playing a very Catherine Hepburn-esque character in this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, and which is possibly why I like it. But no. <laughs> you, you, you left out the best character. What? Did, oh, yes. Bang Bang. Bang Bang, who is amazing, uh, who basically is this... This uh, mute Japanese girl who happens to be a weapons demolitions expert, and she tests weapons by blowing up Barbie dolls. There's, it's it's fun and dramatic at the same time, and you'll you'll laugh, you'll cry, and it's, yes, I'm I'm sounding like a broken record here, but uh, also Nathan Johnson's score was, I believe, Ryan Johnson's cousin, something like that. His score is. Possibly one of my favorite movie scores in recent times. So, uh, as I said, maybe not my overall favorite movie of all time, but high up there and definitely my favorite con movie. All right. Rounding out the film festival premise a little bit, which is nice. So, great. Thank you. Um, I will make my fourth selection, and I'm also trying to provide a little bit of variety in here. Uh, And I'm going to... I believe one of the... Most fascinating areas of of American history and human history, in fact, is the um, attempt in the 1960s for by the United States to put a man on the moon. And I love that era, and I love all of the NASA and Apollo program stuff. I uh, have read a lot about it. And the pinnacle of this is actually the movie about the moon mission that went wrong, which is Ron Howard's Apollo 13, starring Tom Hanks. It's a movie that if you didn't know that it actually happened, and it is almost exactly what really happened right down to some of the dialogue, you wouldn't believe it. You'd think it was a ridiculous Hollywood movie. It is um, masterfully made. And, I, you know, Ron Howard has made a lot of kind of clunker movies as well as some good movies. But the the technology used, the the special effects that replicate the launch of the Saturn V, the fact that they used the the uh, the vomit comet airplane in order to shoot some scenes in actual weightlessness and then seamlessly integrate them with um, with sh- stuff shot on the ground. Uh, they remade all of the interiors of the Apollo space capsules um, and and managed to tell a really exciting story uh, with some great human elements. And uh, it, it's actually it also has a nice uh, score as well. Uh, I'm just a big I love this movie. This is one of those comfort food movies for me. Um, I, I just, I, I think it's a, uh, there are so many things that you think of, well, what if they made a movie of this, they'd probably screw it up. And Apollo 13 is a, a fantastic story and they made the movie and they didn't screw it up and they never need to make that story, tell that story again, cause they got it and they got it right. And, and, uh, having Tom Hanks at the center in one of his better performances as Jim Lovell is, uh, it was a good choice too. So I'm going to, I'm going to go in with 2012. Yeah. The remake. Yeah. Good God. Uh, Apollo 14. <laughs> well, no. 13.5. Yeah, yeah. Sequel. The real Not story. 13 part two. Yeah. I, lo- I, yeah, I just, uh, I, I love this movie. It's great. And it actually has a nice message at the end that I think about every now and then when they cancel some other part of the space program, which is Jim Lovell looking up at the sky saying, I guess we'll go back someday, but who will those people be? <laughs> and we still have no idea. Yes. So anyway, Apollo 13. Okay. Last round. Glenn. Jeez. I'm going dun, lowbrow. Dun, dun. I'm going lowbrow. Well, that'll be a first. From, shut up. So what is, From, it? What is it? A French period piece? 
<laughs> well, you got Jerry Lewis you and know, the Germans. Le, le so. samurai. Excuse me. Excuse me. From the dawn of time we came, <laughs> moving silently down through the centuries, living many secret lives, struggling to reach the time of the gathering when the few who remain will battle to the last. <laughs> wow. Highlander. Oh, my God. Oh, Highlander 2, you mean? No, Highlander 3. Which edition? The sickening. Um, Highlander, I I think that's a surprising pick, possibly. Yes. uh, Because a lot of people think of this as a cheesy film. But it actually, the first uh, half to two-thirds of the movie have a a lot of really remarkable cinematography. It's very funny. It's got a great villain. I watched the Highlander for the cinematography. I watched the Highlander. You should should go back and watch the movie and see how actually enjoyable it is. It's very clever. It's a very funny, clever film. Christophe Lambert is great. Uh, uh, The the guy who plays the Kyrgyz, the giant... um, It's uh, Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown plays equal parts villains and heroes, mostly villains. He's great. And it's got Sean Connery doing the worst Scots Spanish accent ever conceived of. The only actual Scottish person in a movie about Scottish people, and he plays an Egyptian... Was well, Egyptian who, by way of Spain, wow. I think. Yes. Um, it's it's a it's a, it's a really cheesy movie in some ways, but I have to say it is one of the most enjoyable things. I watched it many many times when I was younger and more susceptible to certain influences and uh, herbal nature. And it's a great movie. I, if uh, your head comes away from it. your neck, it's over. That's right. That can be only one. It's a great film. Enjoyed it. There you go. Okay, Scott, your last pick. My my last pick is uh, an animated movie that I love dearly, The Iron Giant. Oh, yes. that's on my list. Great movie. Oh, I love The Iron Giant. It has a good message. Uh, it's, it has a giant robot. Hogarth. Uh, it has a boy named Hogarth, which is a fantastic name. The voice of uh, Vin Diesel. Yes, it has. That's true. It has the voice of uh, Luckily, Harry he Connick doesn't Jr. have to. He doesn't have to say much. It's the it's uh, part he was born to play a robot. <laughs> it's true, an animated robot. <laughs> Uh, and you know it has a good message that you can overcome. You're you're not destined to your your destiny isn't set. You uh, self sacrifice. Uh, you know everybody and don't trust the government. Yeah, it's all very good messages. I agree. And we we discussed that a little bit in the kids movie podcast. That was one of my picks. So I endorse it. Excellent. I love that. Steve. All right. Well, I was leaning Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, uh, just because it's so groundbreaking. But instead, I think I'll snap back in the other direction. Uh, for another groundbreaking film, which was my first X-rated movie, although not my favorite, as it happens. Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> this is a film that spawned one of my favorite film genres, the zombie film. I'm speaking of George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Still one of the best of its kind. Uh, Night of the Living Dead is great, too, but this is this is really where the film, the zombie film really came together. I mean, you get everything. You get your fast-paced action sequences. You, get, you know, they're slowly mounting existential dread there's some some great gallows humor heinous over-the-top gore from tom savini and and even some touchingly sad moments and of course uh george romero's ham-handed patented social commentary although it, it this was early on in the genre and it really hadn't gotten tired yet so it's not quite so bad uh good cast of characters good development you actually give a crap about the heroes at the end I find it's a it's a horror film that makes you think and feel, even as it makes you barf. <laughs> All right. So I I picked Dawn of the Dead. Excellent. That'll be the last. That'll be the pinnacle. That'll be your last one. That'll be the midnight screening. That's right. Maybe we'll do it right day. after right. Babe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, John Syracuse, what's your last selection? 
I'm going to pull a wrench sheet here and say that I was going to pick Breaking Away, which is a uh, a great coming-of-age story that kind of made me feel like all other coming-of-age story movies were lying to me. Uh, but I will not pick that. That will be in the alternate slot yep. in case one of the other movies gets sick or injured. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to select The Game, which is a, a film by David Fincher. Wow. And on most days mm-hmm. is my Michael favorite Douglas. David Fincher movie, believe it or not. Really? Uh, it's a very, very quiet movie, very calm, n- not a lot of, uh, you know, action, excitement, blaring soundtrack, gunfire. I don't know what you'd call it. Would you call it a thinker? It's It's got a certain kind of pacing and suspense that you just don't see in movies these days because it's not exciting enough. Um, and I don't think it did particularly well in the box office because of it, but... Uh, it's got a, a it's got a small cast, but a great cast. And Michael Douglas in the real the lead role, Sean Penn as his brother, uh, and a, a bunch of other character actors mixed in there. And if you have not seen the game, which a lot of people have not seen it, it's not going to be one of those movies that changes your life. But it is an excellent movie. So it's it's one of those things like a rainy day, nobody around at home by yourself. Just pop this thing in uh, and disappear for a couple hours. That's what she said. All right, and, and I won't spoil it for anybody who yeah, hasn't seen it. Yeah, right? I have not seen. I haven't it, seen it either. It's on All right, well, do not. Then anyone who has seen it, please don't say anything. Don't you guys are in for a treat. He's right. a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bruce Willis is dead. Sorry. Uh, Dan. Dan. Uh, I'm going to throw off most of my previous ones and go for a comedy. Good. Um, Finally. One of my favorite. One of, yeah, I know. I've been getting a little been, heavy I'm there. due. I'm due. Uh, yeah, it goes great with Lawrence of Arabia. Um, no, one of my favorite comedies of all time, and that's the John Cusack vehicle, Gross Point Blank. Oh, um, a dark, a dark comedy about. I, I highly a, uh, support that. Yes, it's a great one of my favorite movies. Um, a great, uh, you know, John Cusack plays a hitman who's kind of at loose ends with his life, doesn't really know what he's doing, so he decides to go to his high school reunion. Um, and you kind of get the idea if you've you know watched you know earlier John Cusack works from the eighties. This is this was a ninety six movie, I believe. That this is kind of what uh, ninety seven is. I think sorry, ninety seven. I think they were the class of eighty seven, and it was their ten year reunion. Well, so you get the idea that this is maybe what his uh, say anything character Lloyd Dobler might end up being if he you know lost the girl and decided he had to go back and what do you do in these days? Professional killer, killer. You get dental with that. Yeah. Um, After you graduate work, you can just jump right in. Um, Great, great performance by by Cusack. Uh, One of the better performances by Mini Driver. Yeah. Alan Arkin again shows up. Dan, Dan Aykroyd. Aykroyd as Dan a Aykroyd. villain. Oh, yeah. As a great Media crazy villain. Oh, Grocer. Popcorn. Um, and a host of other good little character actors, including four of the five Cusack clan. Um, yeah. In, in minor roles in various places. His sister, Joan Cusack, most notably. Yes. Wonderful as, as his assistant. Uh-huh. Only um, notably, I just would the think. Entire there thing. are other Cusacks? There are five of them, and there are two more. Anne Cusack, who is yep. also a God. So there's as many as there drunk. are Murrays. He plays a drunk. Anne plays a drunk, in and then the there's bar. one of the other ones plays a waiter. Um, yeah. But I don't think he has any lines. But really, it's, um, it's all about Joan. Zeppo Cusack is in the background. The best, the best scene possibly. Well, the best scene in the entire movie is uh, where he goes to his home. It used to be his <laughs> home, but it's been replaced <laughs> with a. You can't go home again, but I guess you can shop there. Um, replaced by a Seven Eleven, which is playing an Ultimart. Which is playing a Muzak version of Live and Let, Let Die. Die. Yep. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the slacker there is playing Doom on the arcade machine while they're having a gunfight in the background. Yeah. Um, but perhaps the best line <laughs> in the entire movie is the, the understated, uh, thank you for the pen. Yeah. <laughs> to, to Jeremy Piven? No. Jeremy, no, no to um, 
Oh, Carlos Jacot, oh, okay. I believe, actually. A bizarre right. little... Uh, but it, yeah, a guy gives him a pen, pen and he uses it to, as to a kill murder a weapon, yeah. Um, it's excellent, excellent it's, movie. Yeah. If you have not seen it, you are terribly missing yeah, out. Yeah, great movie. Great movie. Ren? Oh, boy. Okay, so best for last. And I said, I guess I said that Brothers Bloom was my con movie, but this is also my con movie. My my honorary con movie. Oh, and you, you said you the song us. I know. Mm. That was a con! Ah. <laughs> so, I only said I would speak Thank for you. 90 minutes. <laughs> um, over. So, this is uh, also the movie that made me want to become a film editor, uh, which I followed for a number of years, and also applies to writing editing as well, and that is Orson Welles' pseudo-documentary F for Fake which if you haven't seen it, I oh. highly, highly, highly recommend it because it is probably, it is number, what is it? Number number two, number two on my all-time favorite movies list, uh, right underneath Empire. And this is a fantastic uh, documentary that claims to be about magic and about following, ironically, following Clifford Irving documenting a guy who does forgeries art forgeries who sells them for a for a nifty profit now the thing to know is that if you know the name clifford irving you'll know that he did the fake biography of howard hughes uh so it's fakery wrapped within fakery and the entire thing despite having a really really interesting story that kind of twists and turns and pulls you at every at every angle and of course orson wells is the master to do the in which to do this, I mean, he put together War of the Worlds, which basically everybody, you know, everybody listening at the time when it was on the when it was broadcast on the radio, kind of got conned into thinking that it was a real Martians are landing on the Earth broadcast. Uh, it it has this really nice sort of back and forth switch change editing, and the movie itself is just beautiful. It's I I cannot describe it and I urge everybody to go see it if you have not, no matter what your feelings are on Orson Welles, because I guarantee you will leave this film thinking something. Great. I've never heard of that film. I will no. go see it. That's great. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess I gotta close it up here. What's what's your final pick, Jason? Huh. <laughs> Number five. I, I've got well, I've got a lot of choices here, and mm-hmm. I can just go with the one that's that, that's the highest remaining on the board that I love or I could think of the poor or I could think of the poor people who have to sit through our our film festival and see if I want to give them something that isn't a comedy from the 80s which is strangely there are lots of those on my list so should I just should I should I do that or do should it. I go just the other way? Go. No, go the other way. Go the other way. I said go with your heart. Go with your Screw heart. Screw the audience. That's right. Embrace your inner inner Syracuse. Wait, wait a second. What would my inner Syracuse do? Is he well known for screwing the audience? <laughs> I don't know. Embrace him and find out. You, you'd crush your you'd crush your younger if, self. If you would That's like to do. make the selection that you really want to make, I promise I'll stay on mute the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I actually just watched this movie again, and I'm gonna I'm gonna select it over some movies that I have ranked higher because I want to round out the uh, I want to round out round out the selection, and I think this movie is becoming appreciated as a classic but i'm going to give it a screening so people are reminded that it is a classic um and it is harold ramus's groundhog day oh that was on my list oh, that's good excellent Great. choice groundhog excellent. day um bill murray had, we got to get bill murray in here again um and rather than but go to you the can well actually watch uh, groundhog day at christmas now it's okay that's what i hear 
It's a holiday Apparently. movie, Apparently. after all. Um, Groundhog Day, you know, we have talked about it before. Um, and rather than go with the real genius Ghostbusters kind of obvious axis, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a different tack and say Groundhog Day. Uh, a funny movie, uh, a, 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 but also a very thought-provoking movie. Lots there to think about in terms of his repeating time. And uh, he, he tries to take one approach with his days and that doesn't work where he tries to fake a good day with Andy McDowell, who, an actress who I dislike, but who is acceptable <laughs> in this movie. Um, and that doesn't work. So then he becomes sad and he decides to kill himself and he does that for a while and that fails too. And then he finally decides to improve himself. And um, and the, the, I know the screenwriter is a Buddhist and it's got that sort of like uh, kind of Buddhism thing to it, which is fine and all. But I I, I really appreciate just the the broad uh, strokes of of uh, a, a comedy that is is funny and, and that there are lots of very funny little tiny bits that you notice when you watch it multiple times because they are in this time loop um but also it's uh it's a it's a thought-provoking uh, kind of movie so and it's a good performance from bill murray who essentially is playing a guy across one day but also like a pair, probably thousands of years of time as he iterates through and becomes uh an expert piano player and learns everything about every single person in this little town in Pennsylvania. So, and the second I'm, appearance of Harold Ramis. So yay for that. Yay. Yes. Yay for Harold Ramis too. And, uh, and so, and Chris Elliott is in that movie. So I don't, who knew <laughs> Chris Elliott? No, who knew that Chris Elliott would make it into the film festival, but there he mm. is. My sixth choice cabin boy. <laughs> Sadly, that'll, that'll have to wait for the next time. All right. He's mm. now a cabin man. So, so there you go that um and of course real genius will be on opening night when there's only one movie because i run the film festival and that'll be for <laughs> i'm, With the I'm setting up an alternate up film festival off. um okay the ludovico technique applied to syracuse in the front row we have we have reached uh we have the, reached the end of the draft so i'm going to thank everybody and as i do that i'm going to list off their their films and then and then uh you can judge for yourself which day is the must-visit day of the Incomparable film series, uh, which uh, there are seven of us, so it will last a full week. A full week of movies. Almost as long as this podcast. Yeah, almost. Not uh. quite. Glenn Fleischman, you selected Wings of Desire, Blade Runner, Brother from Another Planet, Funny Bones, and Highlander. Of course, Highlander. <laughs> it is. You open with Wings of Desire and close with Highlander. <laughs> they're, they're really bookends, if you think about it. That's the best thing it's ever. Nice it, round. It is as eclectic as I expected from you. Highlander is basically a remake when you I, think about it. I think it. this adequately reflects my personality. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. Thank, thank you, Jason. Actually, we could add Blue Velvet in just so there's some heavy breathing. <laughs> but otherwise, it, it does, yes. So thank you. Don't Bill. you effing... Sorry. <laughs> uh, Heineken. Scott McNulty, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, The Hudsucker Proxy, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Forbidden <sighs> Planet, and The Iron Giant. Thank you for those excellent picks that made steve growl i had to shake my fist yeah. somebody had to shake their fist at somebody <laughs> yeah it's true I that, that will, was the I... only collision as far well no jason got a no. bunch of his sniper no. oh yeah 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 there were a lot of sad collisions out there but, but you you couldn't keep it in the only collision i care about yeah anyway. exactly <laughs> so scott thank you for being here and making thank you picks. for having me i uh, i realize now that i'm a giant nerd yeah it's now? I can I, <laughs> just this moment. It's about themselves. It's part of the process, the podcast as therapy <laughs> process that I wow. I have uh, 
I, I have initiated. Steve Lutz started out with a bunch of one-word movies and then kind of blew it at the end. <laughs> Alien, Caddyshack, Babe, The Breakfast Club, and Dawn of the Dead. Thank you for being here. Holy cow, that is a great list. It is. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go watch that now. I think, I, think, uh, I think we may put your day on like Saturday. I think it's a crowd-pleasing kind of day. So and Saturday. for the record, I have learned nothing. Yes, that's good. I didn't expect you to. <laughs> you got to cut your losses. I, I know you're hopeless, so that's fine. <laughs> John Syracuse, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. Ooh. The Godfather, yeah. part one and two, as two selections. Kill Bill, part one and two, as one selection. <laughs> John, John's movies may be all week. And the game. Thank you for being here. I think it's there's no contest here that my selections would... Blow the people out of their seats and then leave them haunted at the end. It of the would. Game. It would. They're going to be desperate for one for a comedy that will never come. There would be no living audience members at the end. Kill of Bill this one day. and two have plenty of humor. All right. Well, that's true. That's true. Quentin Tarantino does. Dan Morin, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Lawrence of Arabia, Rear Window, and Gross Point Blank. Thank you for being here. Hmm. My pleasure. I think that that works nicely. It warms them up in the beginning with sort of the. Uh, the adventures, the romps, yeah. gets a little more serious, and then we leave them laughing. Lots of prepositions in your movie titles, <laughs> by the way. Lots of prepositions. By with on for. Yeah. <laughs> Serenity Caldwell, The Rocketeer, Metropolis, Bringing Up Baby, The Brothers Bloom, and F for Fake. I have to say that you may have wow. edged out Glenn in the obscurity list and the surprise list for me, and uh, that is to your credit. So thank you for being here. Hooray. And I think that arc works nicely. It's going, yes. you know... Going science fiction, then into screwball, then into cons, yeah. but not that con. Right. So. Scott Scott starts with con. <laughs> Where, where's James Con and all this? I uh, get James Con in my movie. No, he's in Godfather. Yeah, he's in the Godfather. Con. Oh, con. I'm sorry. Hey, well, there we go. Con, mm. cons, and con. It's it's really the con film festival at this point. <laughs> oh, <my gosh. laughs> oh, wow. 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 Oh. I'm in terrible pain. No, that was amazing. Thumbs up to Snow. <laughs> Thumbs up to Snow. I... Wow. <laughs> it was sitting right there, guys. Yeah, I thought of it too, but I didn't say it. That's called restraint. Jason. I didn't even see it. Didn't even see it. Wow. Uh, and, uh, wow. <laughs> so, so, so that's a lot of movies. And mine were The Princess Bride. This is Spinal Tap. Meathead. Goodfellas. Apollo 13 and Groundhog Day. And that's it. What? Oh my God. What have we done? That's 35, or depending on how you count John Syracuse, 36 movies that, uh, that you should all go see if you haven't already and create your own little virtual, basically, quit your job. Except and, for Fight Or take a week off, a staycation, rent all of these movies at uh, your local video store if it's still in business. And just uh, act, it, act it out and let us know. And if you do that, then um, we will uh, thank you on Twitter. Jason, Jason, thank you for pulling this together. This yeah. was an amazing effort. Well, thank, thanks to all of you for, uh, for doing this. I, I, I hope that uh, instead of just having everybody kind of list their favorite five movies where we would have heard about The Empire Strikes Back far too many times, instead we got a nice collection of 35, uh, 35 movies that at least somebody loves. 
if not everybody. So next week we take one character from each movie to create a new movie, right? That's the- <laughs> no! <laughs> Maybe what we should do is ask the, uh, ask the great incomparable listening audience to tell us either on Twitter to at the incomparable or via the 5x5 feedback forum, which is at 5x5.tv slash contact, I believe. Um, let us know what ticket you're buying for this. Are you going to buy the whole week? We should set up a poll. Or are you going to buy one day? And if you buy a day, we should set up a poll. Go to 5x5.tv slash incomparable slash 80, and there'll be a link to a poll right there. All right. And that wraps it up because we've only been here for eight hours. So thanks to everybody for participating, and thanks to you out there for listening to this nonsense. Until the next Incomparable, which will be in approximately 2015, I'm Jason Snell. Good night. Oh, I'm going to start by suggesting perhaps we go more rapidly the rest of the items in our list, because otherwise this it's podcast longest- will be 17 hours long. <laughs> You knew very well that by picking Glenn to go first that he would set the stage with like a 45-minute analysis a of some German flex. Let me provide the exegesis of the... You can thank the random number generator for that. Hey, this is supposed to be lightning round. This is, well, this is lightning, Glenn. What is Glenn? <laughs> this is very this is slow lightning. Slow lightning. <laughs> well, if it's just a list, then why would anybody even listen? So we'll talk uh, a little bit, but true. not a lot. If your head comes away from your neck, it's over. That's right. That can be only one. It's a great film. Enjoyed it. There it's go. not an incomparable podcast before somebody breaks out of Connery. So that's also that's also good. You're welcome, Jason. Is that what that was? Somebody breaks out of Connery. Yeah. I, I thought it was Jack Donaghy. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a food time <laughs> To the moon! <laughs> I thought it was Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> there can be only one, Juju. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I think I just uh. pulled something. <laughs> <laughs>